Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1 with It's For Women, the car insurance with extra benefits like personal accident cover. Well, it's just over a decade now since Priory Hall came to prominence for all the wrong reasons when the apartment complex on Dublin's north side was evacuated by a high court order because of fire safety concerns. There followed years of stress and strain for Priory Hall residents, which culminated in the death of Fiachra Daly. Ten years on, I'm now joined by Fiachra's partner and former Priory Hall resident, Stephanie Meehan. Stephanie, a very good morning to you. And good morning to you and thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for coming in. Listen, can you take us back, Stephanie, and remind us all how this all started? When did you first move into Priory Hall? So myself and Fiercra and Oshin moved in in 2009. Oshin was four at the time, so we were, there was great excitement. We were absolutely delighted to finally have the keys to our own property. We had lived across the road in, in a complex adjacent to Priory Hall, so we'd pretty much watched it being built from the ground up. So we were, we were delighted. It was a new step in our lives. We were, we were really happy for our little family. And when you initially moved in, Stephanie, were you really happy with the place itself that you were living in now? No, um, not really, to be honest. Um, we, we we thought that everything would be, it was a work in progress. It was still very much a building site, um, but we were happy to move in. We were happy to start paying our mortgage. It was nice to be out of the rental, the rental market. Um, but we did see problems from the get-go. Um, we had water ingress, there was damp. Um, Ushin's bedroom regularly leaked water so that he had to move in with us. So there was the three of us in our room. But we did think as the builders were on site that it would be remedied and you know we were just pretty much optimistic or naive. Now look Dublin City Council of course they moved their tenants out in 2009 and given I suppose this was a new development you would have been expecting I suppose Stephanie to see people moving their furniture in instead they were moving out as as an owner occupier what were you thinking at that time when you saw Dublin City Council moving all their tenants out so quickly. It was really bizarre. We actually saw it. We had neighbours who lived in our block um, who we had become quite friendly with on first name terms and they were uh, being ushered out there. There was, there was men in removing their furniture and they they did, they did couldn't really give us an answer of whether they were moving out for a couple of weeks or what, what was going on with them. So there was great confusion and we, we just couldn't understand And I still can't understand to this day why their lives were valued more than our lives. Um, And in 2009, two years before uh, Justice Cairns closed down the complex, that they felt that we we were okay to be there, that Mm. it was a safe enough place for us to be, but not for their tenants. And of course, you mentioned uh, Justice Nicholas Kearns there and it ultimately, of course, came in the High Court before him. He ordered the entire complex to be evacuated. You were given just a few days to pack all your stuff. Did that come as a huge shock? And what do you remember of that mass evacuation of the complex? To be quite honest, at that stage, we knew how dangerous the complex was. Um, we, we had expected it, but still, it still was a great shock to see everybody packing up their worldly possessions. There, it, it was it was mad. It was chaotic. And it was it was like scenes from a movie. Even looking back now, it's hard to believe that that was us. And um, people were 
where mm. if there was sofas being moved, uh, TVs, everything, people packing up everything that they could manage to bring. I know when we moved out, most of our things, Fierker decided that he was going to stay for the couple of nights. He was worried that somebody might break in or, you know, that there yeah. wasn't enough security on it. So that was of grave concern to us as well. So we were separated for those couple of nights until we decided, you know what, it's not worth it. He needed to come with us and we needed to keep our family safe. Were you trying to be strong for everyone at that stage or did you find yourself being very upset? Um, to be quite honest, I, I, I think I think you just muster up this courage and you think that everything is going to be OK. You trust the authorities, you trust that the people who are looking after us are going to look after us and that it would be resolved, that the builder would be back on site, that everything would be remedied and that hopefully that we'd be back in. Now, initially they said it would be two weeks we knew that it wouldn't be two weeks I knew even with from my own eye and I've got absolutely zero background in construction that this was not a two week job that this was going to take much longer maybe six months at the time but we were all just so devastated to be to be moved out to have no leadership we were we were ushered off to the Regency Hotel all of us crammed into a lobby with with no no real leader to tell us what exactly was the next plan for us. So you got sent to the hotel and meanwhile the bank of course wanted you to continue paying a mortgage for a property which through no fault of your own you could no longer live in. This has been the hardest part of it all. Um, the, The pressure that we were under was enormous. We were getting phone calls from different departments. We were receiving letters. I have stacks of paperwork at home from from the bank and the pressure that we were under was enormous. It it consumed every thought from the minute you woke up to the minute you went to sleep, if you could get some sleep. And it it just seemed so unnecessary at the time. You know, they always say, and I I know it's a completely different level, but if you bought bought a pair of shoes and if they were were Mm. faulty, you'd bring them back and you'd expect a full refund or else a replacement. And this was the biggest, biggest, single, single biggest purchase of our lives. And we we were expected to just keep paying for something that we couldn't live in. So that that in itself was was heartbreaking and, and did put us under a huge amount of pressure. And all that wrangling, who was responsible, etc. What kind of stress and strain could you see this taking on your partner, Fiacra? He had started to become quite into himself. He, I, I was the one who was outside the doll every week campaigning. And at first, Fierker was very much involved in it. And then he decided, you know what, he, he, it was just too much for him. He took over all the paperwork side of things, the moratoriums that we had to fill in a ridiculous amount of times to try and try and put off paying our mortgage. And I I then focused myself on campaigning and, and with the other residents. So, you know, we were so busy at different at that time of our lives, focusing on different things that he just seemed to have gotten the worst part of it, the worst deal. He was he was the one who was fielding the phone calls, looking in the letterbox. I, I, I tended to try and ignore that, to be quite honest with you, because I was just so upset about the whole situation and I felt nobody was listening to us. Can you remember that morning when you called up to Fiacrum, then you found him? Yeah. 
I do. I remember it very, very vividly. Um, I had gotten up Oshin had Oshin at that stage. Um, he was suffering from from uh, growing pains at night time, and I'd gone down to him, and I woke up and looked out, and I saw Fear Chris Van was still outside, um, which was really unusual. He was always very punctual for work. He loved his job. He absolutely loved his job. There was never an issue of him not going in. So I, I just thought he'd slept through the alarm, or you know, he, hmm. he was okay. So I ran up the door was closed which is very unusual because we had two small children at that stage that the doors were never closed to the bedrooms and I just had this overwhelming sense that something was wrong so I sent Oshin down to Karis I wouldn't let him come up and he was coming up the stairs after baby me. sister, yeah. Yeah baby, I yeah. sent him down to Karis who was uh, two at the time and I pretty much threw them into the bedroom and I went up and I opened the door and he was there you're there in the house. Yeah, just sheer panic, absolute panic to try and get myself out, to get the children out. I didn't know what to do. Mm. I rang, I think, I think I rang the ambulance first or, or, or the emergency services or else or I rang my dad. I know I rang my dad was one of the first people I rang and he was working um, out in North County Dublin. And of course, he just, he just dropped everything and came straight to me. And um, yeah, that's, a very very little memory of it since I know a neighbour was out on the road and was trying to console me and and got some blankets for the children but I very very little memory of it Do you believe Stephanie that ultimately it was the stress and the strain of everything you were going through that led Fiacre to take his own life? I have absolutely no doubt in my mind I've no doubt in my mind and I will, I will firmly stand by that. He was a wonderful person. Everybody who knew him, he was such a happy guy. He was so easygoing. There was no previous signs of anything like that. But I, we, in hindsight, and hindsight is a wonderful thing, we did notice that months prior, and this is all in hindsight, that he had started to, be, to, to turn into himself. He was very stressed about it, very stressed, trying to pay the mortgage, trying to do the right thing and getting no results. And while you'd all been battling, as you say, for so long with no results, do you think it was Fiacre's death that ultimately turned the tide? It definitely was. It definitely was. We'd been fighting. We'd been banging our heads off a brick wall for the two years prior. And within six weeks, we had some sort of resolution after Fiacre had died. Prior to that, nobody was listening to us. It was, it was, it was, it was like Groundhog Day. We were going in, standing outside the doll. We'd have some local councillors who, who are still have stood by us all along, would come out and say hi and listen to what we had to say. But apart from that, we had no help from anybody else. Phil Hogan, Enda Kenny, and then all of a sudden, after Fiacre there was a resolution and it was quite quickly done in six in six weeks we had a solution well we had the beginning of a solution we still had a long road ahead Did that then and does that now make you angry? It does but I can't carry that with me I can't I can't stay angry. I've got two wonderful children. I have to focus on them and make sure that they don't grow up to be angry adults. Um, it's difficult with a teenager in the house at the moment. And, you know, but I, I, I can't I can't focus on that. I have to pull myself together with the help of my amazing family and friends. I had to pull myself together and, and focus on the positives and hope that Oshin and Karis will come out of this unscathed. How did you tell them about their dad? 
it was for quite some time afterwards. Yeah. It was it was it was a very strange process. I got Oshin into Bernardo's immediately, who were absolutely brilliant, and they they directed and guided me and and helped me through everything with Oshin. He he had he had figured it out himself. And, you know, I know sometimes people say you need to be honest and you need to tell them straight away. I just couldn't do that to their little minds. We didn't tell them any lies. We just we just talked about Viagra. We just talked, you know, there was there was no story made up or anything like that. And they both figured it out for themselves. Karis only in the last year. And she she they're they're very happy children. I think it was the right decision for me to make at the time. And they've they've been surrounded by love and they know that their dad absolutely adored them. Absolutely adored them. He was a wonderful dad. And how are you yourself? Because in a way, I suppose you had to stay strong for mm. Karis and yeah. Oshin, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It, it has been difficult. It has been very, very hard. But I, I'm I'm a very motivated person. I like to keep moving forward. I like to remain positive if I can. But, you know, I do have times when I am I'm very upset and some, especially now with uh, with the pandemic and having a lot of time at home from work has given me a lot of time to, to kind of think, sit back and think, oh, my God, I actually went through that. And for somebody to go through what we went through and to come out the other side and to still be sitting here and not blaming everybody, I think I've done okay. Oh, you've done absolutely superbly. Of course, 10 years ago, it is, I think, you left Priory Hall. There was talk of it being demolished. It's, however, been rebuilt, hasn't it? Do you ever go back there or does it just hold so many horrible memories? I had um, I, I, I live I live very close by to Priory Hall and they've got a wonderful park across the way. So I walk by it regularly. But myself and Fierga had a wonderful couple of years in Priory Hall. Uh, despite all of the problems, we had Ushin there, we had Karis there, you know, and Karis was brought home from the hospital to Priory Hall. And, you know, he was so handy that he was patching things up. So when we closed our door, we had a very happy time there. So I, I, I don't have any bad memories. I've got bad memories of everything that materialized from it and and you know everything surrounding it but the actual apartment I I I loved it it was our home it was my first home so I I hope that now with it being rebuilt and it's absolutely fabulous it's gorgeous I hope that that'll provide a home for some family and and they'll have a happy life in it you're a wonderful person and are you living somewhere now in a happy home somewhere that you love with Ushin and Karis? Yes I am yeah. and I, I'm married I am I, Yeah I'm married to a fantastic guy Richie who is absolutely wonderful he's come in and helped us keep keep everything together pick up the pieces and he is wonderful with the children and they absolutely adore him and so I've been very fortunate that I've got a second chance and I've got a lovely happy home the home that I would have loved with Fierkra but now I've been given a second chance and I have I'm and it's a very happy home most of the time. That's such a lovely um ending in a way to your sad story but it's so lovely you met Richie yeah where did I've you meet very him actually lucky. he was actually a family friend and um, he was my brother's friend and you know he'd gone through he'd gone through he'd lost his father around the same time so you know we just became close over the years and then we married in 2016 that's so nice. So he knew the full story. In other words, story. you didn't have to tell a new person. I, yeah, I didn't have to tell anything. He knew exactly what had gone gone on, you know, and 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 just quietly support supported me, and still does to this day, and knows, and he absolutely accepts that, you know, that Fierca is very much a part of our lives, and I think it takes an incredibly strong person. It says an awful lot about him if he can accept, you know, yeah. that there is there is another important man in my children's lives. Absolutely. 
Do you still go to Fiacre's grave or not? It's interesting. Some people find graves a comfort and some people don't. It's, it was actually my family plot. So um, we, we go over. when I, I don't go over, but if the children want to go over, and they do regularly, they like to go over on Father's Day. Fiercre's birthday was only on the 5th of December. So, you know, that was another another milestone to mark. So the kids like to go over, but not it's it's not something that we focus on. You know, we've filled a house full of memories and, and I'm always, always willing to talk about them. You're still very much a part of our lives. Do you find now if you meet new people either through work or whatever that do most people have they forgotten about Priory Hall? Do you find that or not? I still find that a lot of people recognise me 10 years on and they'll, they'll say, oh, I think I know you, you know, and and um, I, I don't I don't say anything immediately you know, because I could know them from just from meeting them on the street. But no, I think there's still a huge amount of support and still a lot of shock in the in the local community in Donamead and Baldoyle that it was ever let, allowed to happen. happen. You must have great interest, have you, in what's happening to the MICA homes and the MICA families. You think all these years on, we'd have learned about housing problems in this country. Yeah, absolutely. I'm devastated for them. I know what it's like to go to bed at night worrying that you can't keep keep a safe roof over your children's head. I think as children, you and I and most children, the biggest fear of going to bed at night would be if there's somebody under your bed or a spider on the wall. These children see what's happening. They see the cracks in their houses. They see the holes. They, they worry about each storm, a heavy windy night like last night you know what are they going to wake up to so I think the mental health the impact that will have on mental health for those children and those families will be severe it'll be huge and you know it should have been I know I know in 2014 there was there was a change to building regulations but it just hasn't gone far enough there should be in my opinion um, an independent body, a fully independent local authority led body that goes in and and inspects these places to make sure that they're being built to the proper standard. Mm. Final question for anyone listening, because you yourself have gone through this terrible trauma and come through very strong, Stephanie. I'm sitting in front of you now. For anyone listening, maybe involved, whether it's the MICA cases or other similar situations, what would your advice to them be? Just keep, keep, keep going, keep going, you know, but also take time to focus on your family, on yourself and, you know, to, to consider your own mental health. If you feel that you're it's it's taken over your full, you're taking over your life, take us take a step back. And, you know, there are others who will always fight your battles for you. I had so I had such a great support network between my, my family, my mom, my dad, my sisters, my friends. They all rallied around us, accept the support and, and but don't give up. You know, they 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 deserve they deserve 100 percent redress. 90 percent isn't good enough. It's not good enough. As I said earlier on, if you went into a shop you'd, and you you're, you got a damaged item or drove a car off a forecourt and it was damaged, you wouldn't accept anything but 100%. You wouldn't. You wouldn't walk away. You'd be looking for the manager. You'd be looking for the person in charge. So, you know, I, I they fully have my support. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to come in to me this morning. I'm delighted that you have remarried and that your children are doing great. Thanks so much for being my guest this morning. And thank you for having me on. Thank you so much.